0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I want to talk to you in this podcast about some lessons from the life of Billy Graham. As you can imagine, I am a great admirer of Billy Graham. I am grateful for his preaching of the Christian message around the world. I am grateful for the positive sides of his influence on American culture and American politics, and uh, I am uh, sad. I'm glad, actually, that he is gone. Uh, Now at 99, he was suffering for many years with Parkinson's, and I'm grateful that he has slipped on into eternity. So 99 years old, grateful for his life. But I want to come at the life of Billy Graham from a different perspective. Today, I, I we could talk, and there are many tributes happening right now. We could talk forever about his life. We could talk about his ministry. We could talk about his preaching. We could talk about his theology. But I got to tell you, since I'm I'm talking to many of you who are in business and leadership, I, I want to come at it from a different perspective because I believe there was a critical moment in the life of Billy Graham that determined most everything that came after and especially determined the fact that we are hearing tributes to Billy Graham that admit some of the mistakes that he made, but that do not involve scandal. And I believe the fact that Billy Graham lived largely a scandal-free life is a result of something that happened in 1949, let me tell you what this is. In 1949, as you may know, Billy Graham conducted a series of meetings of crusade, part of a crusade in Los Angeles. Uh, it blew up; it just became huge. People rallied to it. The press paid attention. The Hearst newspapers uh, covered it at the at the instructions of William Randolph Hearst in a famous story that I won't tell now. Um, but the Hearst papers, which were which were huge at the time, began to cover the meetings and Billy. Graham became famous almost overnight. His message reached this country and then the world. It was obvious it was on, he was on an upward trajectory. It was obvious that success in ministry and success in life was very much in reach for him. And what he did at that moment was really critical. As that success began to attend him, as he began to become a famous personality, he pulled together his main lieutenants, the men he worked with most closely. And he said to them, uh, I want us to establish some principles by which we will conduct ourselves so that we do not fall by the wayside as so many other ministers have. It was well known that that some traveling preachers fell into sexual sin, and, and some fell into financial misdealings, and, 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 and some were known for exaggerating and just telling outright lies from the pulpit. And, 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 you know, most pastors, most ministers are good, solid people, but then you have your Elmer Gantries, then you have your frauds. And Billy Graham, of course, knew this. He lived closer to it than we do. And he decided that he wanted to put in place some guidelines, some boundaries, some principles that would absolutely safeguard what he believed God had called him to do. So along with Grady Wilson, who was his associate evangelist, and George Beverly Shea, who was his advisor, but also his famous soloist at all his crusades, he made some decisions. And I think it's important that we look at these decisions. I think they're things that uh, you listening now can emulate, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a big admirer of Billy Graham. Still, you have to admit that over more than a 60-year public life, uh, he was scandal-free in the areas I'm about to... And it's because he and his associates decided to set some boundaries in place in 1949. Uh, The first of these was they decided that there would absolutely not be any financial impropriety. This was important. There had been lots of financial impropriety in ministries, especially itinerant, traveling, kind of untethered, unaccountable ministers and he didn't want to see it anymore. So as he began to make money, as they began to have success, he decided that his men would all draw salaries. They would be reasonable salaries. They would allow them to live decently, but not be ostentatious. He decided they would not live off of offerings from adoring crowds. That's where a lot of abuses would come in. That's where a lot of manipulation, a lot of emotionalism, a lot of storytelling, a lot of whipping up the crowd into a frenzy. He also decided that when he did crusades in a given city or a given country, local committees would handle the money, that it would not be taken in by his ministry, but local committees would handle the money. So there was absolute accountability. And so he wasn't going in and sort of financially raping that community. These were the kinds of boundaries he put in place. And I can't recount, and nor do I know of anybody else who can recount any kind of financial scandal or impropriety in the 60 years of Billy Graham's public life. He took a moderate, reasonable salary. He lived well, as he should have, but most of it, most of the money that his ministry took in, which was not by far the money that was taken in from each crusade, uh, went into ministry of centers and the Cove and other things. You may know what I'm talking about, um, other, other, other ventures around the world, uh, other urgent situations and, and charity type situations. There was no financial impropriety. Why? Because they set boundaries early on. Uh, the second decision they made is that there would be no sexual impropriety amongst them. They would keep their wives close and keep them involved. They would not meet alone with a woman. It's not that a woman was evil in any way. That's not the culture they built. That's not what they believed. But rather, they just knew that men are fallen and sinners and and, and tempted, especially when they're on the road. So Billy Graham would never go on the road and then meet some woman alone for dinner or something like that. It would never happen. They would travel as a group. They would keep their travel plans private. They would never let out the hotel room numbers publicly uh, or where. Billy Graham was staying. They, you, the average person attending one of his crusades wouldn't even know what hotel Billy Graham was in. They would keep it quiet. They would keep it confidential. And Billy Graham would always be traveling with his team. They also, by the way, kept each other accountable on porn, on fantasies, on the status of their marriage, on other issues. So they made, they set a hedge, they set a guard against the kind of sexual impropriety that has felled so many, particularly in ministry in recent decades. Also, they decided to encourage Christian unity. This is one of the things that really moves me about Billy Graham's life. Billy Graham was known, for example, for going into the South to do crusades, the South of America, where racism was rampant. And he would insist that his meetings uh, be open to all races. He would put black ministers on the stage. He would have black people give testimonies. He would have black uh, counselors. In other words, he just ignored the racism that was rampant in the South, Especially in the 1950s, as he began to rise as a prominent evangelist, one of the things I most love uh, is that if some minister in the community really criticized Billy Graham, Billy Graham would often invite that man uh, or that woman to be on stage with him during the crusades. In other words, you're criticizing me, and I understand you have some concerns, but come and sit with me. Come and sit on stage. Come and see what what what's happening. Many times he would turn critics uh, into converts, so to speak. They would realize that good things were happening and that their suspicions were ill founded And he also, by the way, reached across denominational lines. You can see pictures of Billy Graham's crusades and on, on stage or Catholic cardinals and, uh, and, and orthodox priests and, and even rabbis in some cases. In other words, he was saying, look, I'm preaching the Christian gospel here, but, but come and watch. Come and be part of it. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to build unity across lines. And never would he publicly criticize another member of the clergy. How about in your profession? How can you do that? Let's talk about that in just a moment. And then and then one of the things I deeply admire, because there's so much uh, exaggeration amongst people who speak publicly and appear on TV a lot, Uh in, in church circles, I often call this as speaking evangelistically, <laughs> in other words, being a little bit too elastic with the truth. Um, Billy Graham and his team decided that they would strive for absolute honesty in their dealings. And one of the areas that I, I'm most impressed with that they insisted on honesty was when reporting uh, crowd size. This has been kind of an issue in our recent politics. So it's interesting to talk about, uh, he decided they decided together that they would not report the size of crowds of their meetings themselves. They would leave that to the police or the fire marshal or the, uh, arena managers, whoever were the people in charge of the, of the arenas or the, or the stadiums where they were meeting, but they would never report crowd size. So always it was done by those who were local and those who were officials. In one case, he he let the National Park Service report the numbers. His ministry would say absolutely nothing about it. Imagine the integrity of that. It would keep his team from exaggerating. It would keep that from becoming a big issue, even internally. Hey, how many did we have show up tonight? Hey, wonderful. You know, and getting a kind of an ego buzz off of that. He would ignore that entirely. He would keep that apart from the culture of his ministry and his leadership, and he would leave it to local officials to report whatever they wanted to report. Now, that's some serious integrity. So what I want you to know and what I want to emphasize, uh, again, there's so much we could talk about regarding Billy Graham, but I think the reason that we've just had all these tributes and of course there'll be a new spate of books and probably movies and all sorts of attention to Billy Graham, and I'm grateful for all of it. Great things happened. There are many stories I could tell. But these four commitments from 1949, that they would not allow financial impropriety, that they would not allow sexual impropriety, that they would encourage Christian unity, whatever the cost, and that they would strive for honesty and reliability in their publicity, I got to tell you, those four commitments. We might be able to question uh, some of Billy Graham's life, as he did. By the way, he thought he went way too far in getting involved in politics, and and he did some silly things early in his ministry, like like imitating, reenacting a prayer on the White House lawn when he had just been with Harry Truman, and he later apologized for that. So he made mistakes, but in all the tributes, and all the books, and all the reviews, and even the critical articles that I've read of Billy Graham's life. No one is charging sexual impropriety. No one is charging financial impropriety. No one is charging that he exaggerated numbers. And no one is saying that he busted up or worked against Christian unity or attacked people in public. That, I think, is something noble. And I, I'm not just saying this because I want to honor him uh, only, uh, and because I, but because I do want us to remember this, late, these lessons from his life, and I want you to apply them to your own life. How can you, in your business, how can you, in your conduct, emulate these four principles, even if you're not in ministry, even if you're in some other kind of business, even if you're some other kind of religious work? The fact is that these four commitments and the practical steps attached to them, the practical execution attached to them. They preserved a 60-year ministry and allowed a man to do a lot of good and in very morally troubled times. Take these four things and make them your own. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv